Thank you for listening to audio from Glen Meadows Baptist Church. We hope it blesses you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you are not a current member of Glen Meadows, we encourage you to visit one of our services, Sundays at 9 a.m., 10.30 a.m., and 6.30 p.m. You may be seated, and if you would, open up your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter. We'll continue our series in being strong. And as I say, open up our Bibles, I hear some pages. I used to hear a lot of pages. Now I just see this light glow on people's faces from phones, which is perfect, man. That's a good way to read the Bible. I do that often and your notebook, your tablet. Uh, but if you're archaic like I am, man, there's nothing like reading a book, reading the book in the book, amen? It's good. If you could do anything you wanted today, what would you do? Some of you wouldn't be here today <laughs> because you were, you were told to come. I get it. I understand that. What would you do this week if you could do anything without any restraints? What would you do this week? What, what, if, what if there were, there's no way you could get caught? There were no restrictions. You were just free to do whatever. What would you do? And what would life be like? No consequences, no restraints. What does your soul really desire to do? The result of your life in doing what you want with no restrictions would actually lead to your demise, your weakness, and eventually the decay of your own soul. Absolute freedom with no check from a, a heart that is depraved and evil always leads to bad things. So the things that I want to do may not always be right. They may seem right. In fact, there is a Bible verse that says, what seems right to a man often leads to destruction. Because it seems right, but it's not. Even though we live in a very individualistic society, meaning it's all about selfies and all about self and all about our promotion, we live in a some total of all people thinking like this, we live in a very self-serving culture where everything goes the way we want it. It does. But if it doesn't, we blame others or institutions for being overbearing and tyrannical. They're at fault because things aren't happening the way I would like. We actually have among, among us in our culture a constitution the stamina of a snowflake, thinking we have the voice of a lion. And our culture runs from the voice of the lion coming from a constitution of a simple, frail snowflake, self-willed, self, although being blown in the wind wherever the wind so desires. And we love our individualistic imprint because there's no one like you at all because we're all like what? Snowflakes. Some truth to that. But the implications, and when we carry it out from a heart that's not pure, it leads us into life choices, uh, requirements of rights that we don't even have. Leads us to a life that's really not fun and not rewarding at all. And no one can live that way. No one can live without any kind of restraints. No one can live without discipline. No one can live without structure. And no one can live without order. The truth of this matter is clear. We must submit 
to something. And there I said it. I'm sorry. I apologize. I'll say it again. Feel free to cover your ears. But we must submit to something. Don't you hate that word? I can't. It's just a problem. So your character and my character, listen to this. Your character and my character is measured by my willingness, your willingness to to submit to others. Wow. Think about that again. Let me say it. Your character and my character is measured partly by our willingness to submit to others. It's something that is contrary to our culture. It's contrary to my own heart, but yet Jesus makes it very clear. Everyone reports to someone. Everyone submits to someone, actually. We either set up an idol of a community of people that we think are just awesome, we watch their feeds, we listen to their tweets, and we submit to their authority, if you will. What they think is great, I think is great. The way they walk is how I want to walk. I even want to wear their shoes because their face is on it. We submit to something. We do. You might have to submit to your boss. You might have to submit to your parents, your spouse, the person who holds the lien on your house, your doctor. You might even have to submit to the police. There is no doubt we all, at some point or another, will have to submit to the tax man. Right? There's a couple, <laughs> two things, <laughs> two things that are sure. What? Death and what? That's right. And yet we say we're free. And we say we can do whatever we want. But you actually choose your restraints or you choose what to rebel against. When placed in a role where you must submit, let me ask, how do you respond? When you must submit, not that you want to submit, when you must resubmit, What do you do and how do you respond? That really tells us what my soul is like when that happens to me or what happens to you. When you must submit, what kind of a person are you anyway? And he said, Brother Mac, I didn't come to church to hear this. Believe me, I don't want to preach it, to be honest with you. It rakes against my soul as much as it rakes against your soul, but it also proves we all need to grow in some areas. So students, do you always know Reason, sometimes the reasons that we don't want to submit is we actually believe that we know more than those above us or that we're supposed to submit to. We actually believe that. We believe that we are smarter than the mayor, than the council, than the president. We're smarter than our teachers. We're definitely smarter than our parents. And students, is it really true that we always know more than our parents? Is it always true that we always know more than our parents? Or is it a possibility that our parents might be right? I think in my kids' eyes, I got smarter and smarter once they hit 25 and 30. Then I got, then then dad actually knew something, I think. Managers, do you always know more than your direct reports? And of course, do you always know more than your boss? Always. Husbands, do you always know more than your wife? Careful. (laughs) Wives, do you always know more than your husband? Husbands, do you always know what's really going in, on in your wife's heart when the Bible says in this, te- in this book, husbands live with your wives, it's a command, live with your wives in an understanding way. It's like, God, are you kidding me? 
Don't have the manual on that one. Don't. Don't try to Google it. You'll never find it. Don't even ask me for advice on how to understand your wife. I don't know your wife. <laughs> Maybe you ought to just sit down and ask the right questions. You'll get an answer. You will. Do you always know more? Or is it possible that we don't? Is it possible that we actually are not as great and mighty and, and thoughtful as we thought we were? Is that true? How are we to live in this present day? Let's bring it down to real life. How are we to live in this present day in a corrupt world that has no regard for God or people? So you say, Brother Mac, we're supposed to submit. Yeah, there's some incredible verses here that basically, I will tell you this, I'm just going to warn you, there will be a temptation to never come back again or never come back to the Bible again after what we read. There are those that will just kind of peruse Scripture and they'll come into 1 Peter chapter 2, chapter 3, and they'll just say, you know what, that is not for me. That goes against everything I know as an individual and by golly as an American. It goes against everything I know. So I'll warn you, this is pretty stout stuff right here, but I will say this, it is a line of demarcation. Who's in, who's out? Who really wants to be a follower of Jesus and who doesn't? Either this is what Jesus says to follow in my steps, or you can just be a fan and a spectator and say, yeah, I really like what Jesus said and did, but that was for then, but not now. So here we go. First Peter chapter two, verse 12 says this. <clears throat> Conduct yourselves, let's start with verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers, temporary residents to abstain from fleshly desires that wage war against you. In other words, they were a people that were taken up out of uh, their home and running for their lives and ended up in a land that was full of pagans. They would worship Caesar. They would worship the king. They considered him deity. I mean, how gross can you get? How far from the faith can you go? And then they had all kinds of crazy rules, crazy laws. And he says this, you as aliens, stay away from sinful desires that wage war against you. Verse 12, conduct yourself. Conduct yourself honorably among the Gentiles so that in a case where they speak against you, as those who do evil, they may, by observing your good works, glorify God in the day of visitation. Now, what we learn from that verse is that we are to act in a way, even in a, a world that doesn't honor God, in a possibly a, a job that doesn't honor God, or a school that doesn't honor God, or a community that doesn't honor God, or a family that doesn't honor God, you are to conduct your way, your, conduct your life in a way that they say these things. They will speak well of you. You know what? God still works hard. I make him work overtime. I do this. I kind of cut his pay. And man, the guy just gets it from can to can't. He works. They speak well of you. They will see your good works. And then a result, they will speak well of God. So this is how a Christian lives. This is what they do. And they still, with a good attitude, feelings under control, begin to move like this. And then God will speak well of them because of your actions are redemptive. You mimic Jesus and all these things and there is a redemptive message. In other words, you are to preach a sermon always in what you do, sometimes use words. 
but all the time using an attitude of submission. So since we're on that word submission, look at verse 13. Submit to every human institution because of the Lord. Now, that word submit, that's a tough word. You might have a translation that says respect. The word is submit. Um, you, may have a, you may have an understanding that res- submission is, uh, is choose to defer or to consider, but actually the lexicon is very, very clear, and it means come up under, submit, and even uses a dirty four-letter word, and I'm just going to say it. Obey. There, I said it. Obey. Submission. You cannot wash out obedience from submission. It goes hand in hand together. It's really interesting how this works. So listen to this. Jesus, he did this. He submitted to his parents. Luke chapter 2, verse 51. But to refuse to submit to God's law is devastating. Refusal Refusing to submit to God's righteousness is devastating. We are told as churches to submit to Christ in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 24. And that we must all submit to God, James 4, 7. And the, the Bible tells us that the younger are to submit to the older, and all God's people said. That's right. But then here's another one. The church is to submit to their leaders. Say, Brother Mac, this is downright self-serving to say something like that. I didn't say it. God's Word says it. There is a submission that goes on. Actually, in every one of these cases, there is a mutual submission, but we'll get to that in a second. By submitting to government, Christians demonstrate that they are good citizens and not anarchists, which the Bible condemns left and right all the time. Anarchy is not anything close to being biblical. By submitting to government, Christians do many things. Romans chapter 13, verse 1 through 7, listen to this. Everyone must submit to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist are instituted by God. Now, let's stop there for a second. If you're like me, you're just saying, that is really a tough concept, that there are some governments out there that are fully anti-Christ, anti-church, anti-good, anti-people. There's no, uh, any respect for humanity with some of these governments. And yet right here it says, the Lord allowed them, the institutions to exist. Therefore, submit. That's believing in a very, very sovereign, sovereign God. It's interesting. Opposing God's command Let's see, everyone must submit. So then the one who resists the authority is opposing God's command and those who oppose it will bring judgment on themselves for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. So he's saying that these governments that God sanctions, they reward the good and they literally suppress the bad. That is a government that God puts in place. Do you want to be unafraid of the authorities? Do what is good. And you will have its approval for government. And this, this is what government's job is. So civics 101, here's what government does. Government is to suppress evil and to reward good. For government is God's servant for your good. But if you're doing wrong, be afraid because it does not carry the sword for no reason. For government is God's servant, 
an avenger that brings wrath on the one who does wrong. Therefore, you must submit not only because of wrath, but because of, because of a good conscience. Titus chapter 3, verse 1 through 2 says this. Paul is telling Titus, one of his disciples, a boy he raised up, he's telling, hey, tell the church this. Remind them to submit to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to slander no one, to avoid fighting, and to be kind, always showing gentleness to all people. Isn't that interesting? So this is really tough because there are some bad bosses, there's some bad spouses, there's some bad governments, and yet we're supposed to submit? A man found himself in that kind of predicament, a man by the name of John Knox. John Knox started the Presbyterian Church. John Knox was a brilliant guy, very smart, but yet he was under incredible persecution. Listen to his words. So a guy who discipled me um, was discipled by a guy, and I'm going to quote that guy. Here's what he says. His name is Tom, Tom Constables. Tom Constable said this, ever since Christianity was first preached, the Christian citizen has been, in, has been a puzzle Christian citizenship has been a puzzle both to himself and to his rulers. Here's why. By the elementary necessities of his creed, in other words, what we believe, he has been a man living in two worlds. So we live in two worlds, as he's saying. In one, he has been a member of a national community. In the other, of a community taken out of this nation. In other words, we live in two worlds. We're under the authority of the Lord God Almighty who we bow to him and he is our master and yet we're placed in a earthly, under an earthly regime. So we live in two worlds. We just do. Do you recognize that? Do you feel the tension? Do you feel the tension when you watch, I mean, I'm not encouraging you to, you may, and I'm sure you do, you watch the news and whatever your preferred station is, they hate the other party big time. In fact, I have never seen it uh, heightened to the degree that it is right now. And I'm an old man, by the way. The visceral, the hatred, being drunk on hatred and just making accusations and, and assigning motives that they have no way of knowing. And they still do it it's because it fuels the fire within their heart and it's never gotten so worse. So here we are as Christians. doesn't matter which of the seven, eight parties you could possibly be a part of. You see it and you, if you don't feel the tension of a Christian and how do you shine the light in this kind of environment, then you are blind as a mole or just not spiritually attuned because it's here. It's now. This is where we're at. So he says, we're a part of two worlds. In one, he has been bound to obey and enforce the laws of the state, and in the other, to measure his conduct by standards not recognized by those laws in which we lived, often inconsistent with them. This dualism has been made tolerant. Listen to this. So the dualism, the conflict that we're in, has been made tolerant by the prospect of the reconciliation of the two worlds. So you and I, you can, you can use all kinds of adjectives that aren't very honorable to, to quote the other person's position, but all, you're, all you are doing is inflaming the rage even more when in fact what you and I should be doing is working to godly reconciliation and it comes out and is fleshed out in your life in a God-type, Christ-like submission. Doesn't mean you can't speak up. It just means you just, you just go crazy on your Twitter or your Facebook 
thinking that nobody knows who you really are, as if there's ambiguity behind who you really are, and you just blab and joke and use adjectives and adverbs that are not very honoring. And it doesn't help for this incredible prospect, this anticipation, as John Knox had, of bringing the two worlds together, a full redemption and what we should be about. So he says this, that prospect is, again, an elementary necessity of the Christian creed and what we believe. Somehow, somewhere, the conflict of loyalties will end and the kingdom of this world will pass and the kingdom of God will be established. And that's what we have to look forward to, brothers and sisters. We're not living for this world. We're living for the next world. And it's our heart's desire to pray that God's kingdom would come on earth. And so we don't buy in to the ridicule and the dishonoring statements that the rest of the world is a part. It's seen in submission. It's an incredible thing. But this doesn't mean that we are to submit in every single area. It doesn't mean that we are to never defy government. I mean, we have a whole history of people who have defied government, some bad, some good. I mean, Peter and John were preaching in the temple and and the leaders got them together and they said, don't do that. And they did it. And then they beat him. And then they took him before the court and they said, hey, we told you not to preach the gospel. And they said, look, uh, whether it's right or wrong for you to tell us to preach the gospel, I don't know. I know this. We're going to do it anyway. We're going to obey God no matter what you say. That's where the two kingdoms have a conflict. And if you don't see even now the two conflicts of the different kingdoms of following Christ and the way the world wants you to live, if you don't see that conflict, once again, you are blind as a mole or you're not spiritually astute. It's the bottom line. So what do you do in the midst? You defy. You take your stand. You do that. I saw, uh, I didn't ask permission to tell this story, so I won't use any names, but there was someone close to me who uh, wanted to uh, not just be a doormat to the wicked world, and which I, I agree with this, and he found somebody who had broken into his house. And I remember we get a call and said, hey man, y'all need to get down here, somebody in my house. And I remember hearing later what happened in the most honorable way. I mean, so submission doesn't mean we just let anybody tromp through our living room and take what we want. It doesn't mean we just let anybody just put handcuffs on us and do whatever they want. It doesn't mean that at all. Submission doesn't mean play dead. But here's what submission looked like in this situation. So our brother, you all know, um, grabs this rascal after chasing him down and uh, restrains him and yet at the same time with passion and with love for the individual, just pleading for this individual's soul. And then, and then the question of, do we, do we turn this guy in? And we're like, look, man, you just tell the truth of what happened to the authorities. That's what we are to do. And you let the authorities take it from there. But yes, with an incredible submissive heart, taking action for good and bringing, bridging the gap between the kingdom of God and the world that we live in and just showing Christian compassion in the meantime is what we need. It's a problem. So in the book of Romans, in the book of Titus, where it talks about submitting to leaders, and, and if our leaders are wrong, then we are willingly call them out. But our society has gone haywire in this to where we reject anybody with any kind of authority. And you've seen the newsreels to where, let's just pick a state. Let's just pick New York City. 
It's easy to pick on them, right? <laughs> where they have, they have some authorities that are allowing this kind of thing to happen to where uh, someone with a badge is arresting somebody or, or trying to do, do good or trying to restrain evil and someone throws milk on them and throws water on them and just laughs and nobody does anything about it and the world begins to applaud. Let me tell you, that is the pulse of the spiritual climate in America when people applaud evil towards authority and that should not exist. I don't know what would happen if that happened in San Angelo. I don't know what happened. Maybe a mugshot with a black eye. I don't know. I don't know. Now, are there bad cops? Yes. Are there bad preachers? Yes. Are there bad people? Yes. But the Lord says to submit. So how are we going to do this? I said all that for introduction. Now here's the sermon. <laughs> Verse 13 and 14 says, Submission is in keeping with a soul that looks like Jesus. You know, I, uh, I know this is so countercultural, what we're talking about here. It's so countercultural that I pray for the young believers who have not really pulled their foot quite out of the, the culture of America and who we are in all of our rebellion. And you haven't set foot clearly in the kingdom and you're still grappling with these cultural struggles, and I'm praying for you right now, that you really would just listen to the Word of God and see, listen to it explained before you check out. You may be listening to this, and you may just think about turning off the radio or turning off the podcast and saying submission is a horrible word because I've used, it's been, it's been preached to me in such bad ways. Now listen, there are many here who You've had the word submission thrown at you in some very poor ways, very bad ways, very abusive ways, and I realize that. And I realize there have been some horrible situations, whether it's in employment or prejudice, or whether it's just uh, domestic abuse. And these things are horrible, but, but, but your pain, listen to me for a second. Um, don't listen to this through your pain. And I know that's, I'm asking you to do something very difficult. But don't listen to this through your pain. Listen to this from what God says and how he explains it. It's, it's the same vocabulary, but let's bring in another glossary. Let's bring in another meaning of what this means, and it's so powerful. And look, listen, in any of the abuse and the prejudice and the work situations and in, in the domestic violence and domestic abuse, listen, I, along with God the Father, and any God-fearing person in this room, we ache and hurt for you. We, we detest it. We rebuke it. We condemned it. We condemn it. And by golly, I'll tell you what, we'd do something about it if you just let us know. If there's any domestic violence at all going on, any abuse going on, you call me. Call the police. And buddy, abuser, pray the police get there first because I'm bringing a posse with me. It is not acceptable. Submission is not a word you use to beat anybody down. Submission is not a word that you are to receive as being put in your place. Jesus at all times 
never felt a victim when he was going to the cross. He willfully picked up the cross. He bled all the way up Calvary, and he said, nobody lays, nobody takes my life. I lay it down willingly. If your spouse or your boss or another group has a Bible in their hands and saying, you're supposed to submit, that's the time you say, we're going to go talk to Pastor Mac, and you're going to get in trouble. That's right. <laughs> Are we clear? So re, re, let's listen to it the biblical way. Submission is incredible when you understand it. And you understand that it comes from a soul that is strong, a soul that is independent, a soul that is determined with eternal values at stake. And this is what we are to do. You, yours, verse 13 and 14 is clear. We are keeping the company of Jesus in this. So he says, submit to every human institution because of the Lord. Listen, next week we're going to be talking about marriage and the whole verb submission follows from verse 13 all the way through chapter 2 and chapter 3. And this verb is ruling the thought of the passage. And when we get to men and women, we will discuss how this works in the house, in the home. And so come back the next two weeks. You want to learn how to make marriage fantastic? This is it. You want to make marriage sizzle? This is it. This is, this is how you learn to bring in the community of the king into the home, and we'll be going through this. So it's, it's beautiful. But what it is, it is something that you are in keeping because of Jesus. So here we go. I don't submit to my wife because she deserves it, although she does. I don't submit to her because she deserves it. I do it because of the Lord. She doesn't submit to me because I deserve it, which I don't. She does it because of the Lord. That's the reason. It's the Lord. And when we do it according to the Lord, it is beautiful. It's gorgeous. Whether to the emperor or to the supreme authority or to governors or to those sent out by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. And so we see it's being just like Jesus. Also submitting is submitting in difficult situations comes from a strong soul, from your internal being. The immaterial part of man, your mind, your will, your emotions, you become strong, you become determined, you live on purpose, you're, you're with people on purpose, and your soul is strong, and it, it's all here in verse 15, for it is God's will that you, you choose it. By doing good, silence the ignorance of foolish people. And by doing good is an attitude of submission. And the way you get that way is you check your attitude, you control your feelings, and you look to the outcomes. That's what verse 15 is saying. I am willfully doing it, meaning I set my attitude. I'm, this is, this is, this is, I'm going to work, and I'm going to work hard, even though I'm not respected like I want to. I'm going to prove that Jesus is my Lord. So you control your attitude. You control your feelings. How do you control your feelings? By looking at this incredible outcome that at the end, all things will be good. This is the eye of faith. This is, so when you go to work, it doesn't matter what your work is as long as it's legal. You don't, it doesn't matter what your work is. You do it wholeheartedly unto the Lord. And what you do is just as sacred as what I do, right? If you're a stay-at-home mom, if you're stay-at-home dad, if you're an engineer, if you're whatever, you do it all to the name of the Lord in submission 
and proving your incredible character that comes from that, but also submitting in difficult situations is following Christ's example. So in verse 16, he uses that word again, submit. As God's slaves live as free people. Maybe that's where we need to start. A slave of the Lord. Listen, if you have allegiance to any other person or any other thing or institution more than your allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ, then you're out of balance. You're out of bounds. And you're probably walking in sin. Let's, let's get this straight here. Uh, we are slaves of the Lord. This is what the Bible says. When you understand this word and you understand this concept, then this whole submission thing just makes sense. You and I are accountable to the Lord God Almighty in actions, in words, in conduct, ambition, in every area of our life. So therefore, you are not telling God what you're going to do with your life or what you need. You are waiting to hear from the Lord because you are a slave at his beckoning. If he says go, you say go. If he says stop, you stop. You, you see your perspective of God and you, you can identify yourself. You can evaluate your own heart. Is God my master? Is he not? By how much willful disobedience is in your life? Are you willfully disobeying God on purpose and not thinking a thing about it? Then that is an indicator that he is not the master of your soul. Does that make sense? Or are we so accustomed to living in a two-faced society that we just walk in step? Are we just so used to living one way on Sunday and living another way the rest of the week? Are we used to that? That we just think it's normal and that God, you know, God understands. I mean, is that what we say? God knows I really like him. I just don't want to obey him. He says, verse 16, as God's masters live as free people, but don't use your freedom as a way to conceal evil. And then he has four injunctions or four imperatives. Here's what we're to do. Verse 17, honor everyone. Love the brothers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Now, let me tell you, the, the, the middle two, it's kind of sandwiched, it's bookend, it's got two inclusions of de- dealing with unhonorable people, but in the middle, you got the brotherhood and God, and once you, you love the brotherhood, you fear God, and then it's a whole lot easier to honor everyone. So, you say, Brother Mac, there's some people that are not, that are not honorable. You may say, I know some cops, and they're not very honorable, or I have a boss, or I have, look, it works like this. Um, I've had family members uh, that I love dearly. And because of, because of lifestyle choices and addictions have ended up in really very tough situations and literally picking them up and helping them and getting them out of trouble and, and walking them to safety. I'm showing her honor, showing him honor and love. I don't think that what they were just involved in was honorable. No, 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 not honorable at all. 
but because of love, I honor them and I show them a better way, get them to safety and do everything I can for them. I, by loving them like that or loving her like that or him like that is showing that I honor them, I love them, but I'm not approving of anything they do. And I can show honor to, to anybody. I can show honor to anybody, to a president you just despise a congressman you don't agree with, a judge who is, is a fool for doing what they've done. I can be honorable when they've done dishonorable things. So I need to watch my adjectives and adverbs when I talk about people and to be very careful because it sets an attitude which brings feelings which will hijack me to not being a submissive person at all. We need to be very, very careful in that. And the scripture continues. And goes on and he says, look, you do this because of Jesus. We are slaves. And then verse 21, for you were called to this because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you should follow in his steps. You know the WWJD bracelets? Y'all ever have them? You ever see that WWJD? What would Jesus do? It comes from this verse right here. You know, last night or the night before last, Chris was saying, do you want some more vanilla ice cream with chocolate on it? And I said, well, what would Jesus do? WWJD? <laughs> and we all know he would get some bluebell ice cream. <laughs> Particularly, he likes Millennium Crunch. <laughs> I highly recommend that. You say, how do you know Jesus would do that? Well, I actually know him personally. <laughs> he likes that. And I'm joking, but that's kind of how far we take the WWJD sometimes. Let's look at it in its context. Now, what would Jesus do? Which, what's what he's talking about? Let's, let's start all over. For you were called to this because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you should follow in his steps. What would Jesus do? He would willingly, in tough situations, be willing to suffer for the benefit of others so that they might be saved. What would Jesus do? He would go up the hill. He would have a strong soul. He does have a strong soul, mind, will, and emotion. And he didn't cower. He didn't cower to the afflictions. But he had the outcome in mind, the right attitude, the feelings for you and for me. And he did this. In the midst of the, the beatings, he did not commit sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. These were demonized people that were beating our Savior in the worst situation. He had the right to call legions of angels to rescue himself, but he didn't. He submitted to the whips and he followed through. And look at what he says. He didn't commit sin. He didn't call them names. He didn't bow to them. He didn't revile. And he didn't return. When suffering, he did not threaten, but committed himself to the one who judges justly. Look at verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that having died to sin, we might live to righteousness. Here's what came out of this. He took your sins and put them on his body while he was nailed to the tree, to the cross, so that we might be righteous in Christ. That's what he did. Let me stop preaching and start meddling. Let me tell you something. I never, ever want anybody to ever be abused. And so I'm not talking about that. 
Let me make that clear. I'm not talking about prejudice. I'm not talking about abuse in any way. I'm not talking about that, but listen to me. You may say, man, can't believe how these people mistreated me and now I have to do this and have to do that. And it's, you know, probably bad decisions on other people's parts. Well, let me tell you this. When Jesus went to the cross, he was taking your afflictions on him. Do you know that? It was your sins that nailed him to the cross. So if I could say, you were the abuser, if I could say that, right? So we always want to point fingers at everybody else because we know more than they do. Let's just go back to the cross for a second. Talk about a mistreatment. He willingly went to the cross because I put him there. You put him there. So we really don't have any stones to throw, do we, at people who act wrong or don't treat us as respectful as we think. We really don't have any platform to stand on. I mean, by golly, we're Americans. We need to, listen, you live in another kingdom. It's the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a tough message. We could, we could talk for days and days and days, and I pray that you think about this a lot and you research Scripture and you come to grips with this. You get in fellowships in your life groups. Beat these things out because this is a very hot subject. It's very emotional, and it's very easy to go sideways on this and to misinterpret and to end up in trouble. But I hope you grapple with this, and I hope, man, I even hope you lose sleep over this because this is very difficult things that you and I need to grapple with in our attitude in a lost and dying world and what are the outcomes we want? And what are our attitudes? Are we fueling the fire or are we actually bringing redemption with a submissive heart that's fully in control, fully present, and fully willing? Thank you again for listening to audio from Pastor Mac Roller at Glamina's Baptist Church. For previous sermons and more information, please check out our website at gmbc.org.